Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, June 28th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, time is running out on a contract between the University of Mississippi Medical Center and Blue Cross Blue Shield of Mississippi. Find out what's at stake for patients. Then Mississippi men's health is at issue. We'll hear why. Mississippi ranks 48. And in our book club, a collection of essays for writers, readers, and lovers of all things Southern. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contract between Mississippi's largest hospital and private insurer is due to end this weekend. The University of Mississippi Medical Center and Blue Cross Blue Shield have been unable to renegotiate their contract. In May, the Medical Center's CEO, Kevin Cook, said the 28-year-old contract was outdated and they were pulling out of the deal July 1st. In response to UMMC's announcement, Blue Cross Blue Shield released a statement saying their payment program has continually evolved. Now the state's insurance department is stepping in to encourage the parties to hash out an agreement. Mississippi Insurance Commissioner Mike Cheney tells MPB's Desiree Frazier both parties have agreed to go to mediation. Well, Blue Cross Blue Shield and University Medical Center are at a loggerhead on disagreement on payments. Uh, Blue Cross has a continuing contract. The University Medical Center wants more payment for uh, some of the services that they perform. It's called um, network increases. So networks, networks by insurance companies, whether it's Blue Cross or another company, usually has very deeply discounted rates for the consumer. And at this point, uh, our fear is on Sunday. The University Medical Center will bill consumers at the full rate, for an example, of baby delivery. Normal delivery would be just for the hospital, $10,000 on the normal charge. If you were a member of a Blue Cross network, you would pay around 1500 So it doesn't take a big mathematician to figure out you may look at an $8,500 difference. The University Medical Center has told the Department of Insurance that they're going to bill consumers at some unknown rate. We don't know what it will be, and the consumer will be responsible for paying, and the consumer then would have to file a claim with Blue Cross Blue Shield to get their money back. It's going to be a nightmare for the consumers in Mississippi. 
So the Department of Insurance has decided that we would like for the parties to go to mediation to work the differences out. Both parties have agreed to go to mediation. Unfortunately, that would not occur until the second or third week of July. And during that time, there will be some chaos about who will be billing who and how much will be paid. We have got an agreement with both parties that continuity of care, that means someone who is already going to the University Medical Center and has Blue Cross Blue Shield will continue and emergency room visits will be covered normally by Blue Cross and Blue Shield uh, as if they were in the network. So that's kind of where we are today. In a statement from Blue Cross, a spokesperson said that all emergency visits will be honored at the network level and uh, those receiving medical care getting follow-up care and new patients who have selected UMMC as their provider will be in network. That's correct. And the thing that we don't know is what the rates will be when University Medical Center actually bills folks. And we do not know if University Medical Center will also try to bill people for use of the emergency room when they use contract doctors, which are not normally considered in the network. So we have told the University Medical Center and Blue Cross that we will not tolerate balanced billing in the state and uh, that we would, if there were balanced billing, we would take action legally, either through our own attorneys in-house or through outside attorneys. The attorney general does not want to get involved at this point. What does balanced billing mean? Balanced billing means that if you have a network agreement with an insurance carrier and you accept that payment, you cannot bill the patient for more dollars. For an example, if you had a an MRR, and that's a standard procedure that costs $4,000, and the insurance company pays 900 and you accept the 900 you will not bill the patient for the difference between 4000 and $900. So you're saying it's possible that the University of Mississippi Medical Center may bill for the balance? No, I don't think that the uh, University Medical Center will bill for any balances. They have assured us they will work with us, that uh, the dispute is with Blue Cross, And our concern has been that we have no authority to try to make the parties agree to some type of settlement. And I I definitely do not have authority and will not interject the department into contract disputes. That's something we have refused to do, and it's not something that we should do. And the real issue for us is to protect the consumer and be certain that the consumer has access to health care at a reasonable rate. In your mind, why do you think it's so difficult for these two entities to come together on this? From the point of Blue Cross Blue Shield, their determination has always been we cannot afford to pay more. If we do, we have to pass it along to the consumer. And from the University of Mississippi's Medical Center's point of view, they would like to see more money come in for the procedures that they do, being the only research hospital in the state. So There's a lot of disagreement between the parties, and unfortunately, the dispute is carried over into uh, the consumer category where consumers can be hurt. And our job is to protect the consumer. It's just that simple. And so now you're going into mediation. So there's a possibility that down the line, this could be resolved in, say, maybe a month or so? We hope it would be resolved before a month goes by, but we, it's, it's anybody's say as to what will actually happen. We just don't know. But we hope it will be resolved fairly quick. Mike Cheney, we appreciate you so much. You're quite welcome. Thank you. Dr. Charles O'Mara is Associate Vice Chancellor for Clinical Affairs at UMMC. He tells our Desiree Frazier the mediation brings opportunity. 
we served them a 60-day notice period uh, a little less than two months ago, so that date is arriving, yes. Can you tell us what the sticking point is that you can discuss about this issue and why it's gone this route? The principal concern we have is that the contract we are operating under is 28 years old. It was signed in a different era of medicine and a different time for the medical center. And most importantly, it contains language that allows Blue Cross Blue Shield to have unilateral authority in making changes to the contract without our consent and even without notification of us about those changes being made. Now, I understand at the heart of the issue, it's the reimbursement rates. You want a higher reimbursement rate for services. Well, the heart of the issue really is the wording of the contract and the, uh, the, the rationale for a contract that has, uh, or lack of rationale for a contract that has unilateral authority on it for the parties involved. It does, of course, affect reimbursement and revenues, and that's part of the discussion. I understand it's going to mediation, that both sides have agreed to mediate the issue. Do you think that that will bring about a resolution? We are hopeful. We have been uh, cautiously optimistic throughout the uh, weeks that have led up to where we are now that there would be the opportunity for negotiation. Uh, We've reached out to Blue Cross Blue Shield on a number of occasions without meaningful response. This possibility of mediation certainly is an opportunity, and we look forward to being an active part of that. What happens in the meantime between uh, July 1st and when you begin this mediation process and hopefully draw it to a a good conclusion, which is renegotiating a contract? Well, I would assume that if a mediation process goes forward and we were then to choose uh, a halt in the process of termination that Blue Cross Blue Shield would be amenable to that and there would then be no change in patient's care or in the reimbursement process for that care. How do you feel about this? We've actually had ongoing uh, discussions with Blue Cross Blue Shield over several years and uh, about four years ago now there were uh, intense discussions that came to the possibility of termination at that time, but it was worked out what we thought was a a reasonable uh, arrangement, but it has not proven to be so. Again, relating back to the fact that this is a contract that allows unilateral authority for decision-making on Blue Cross Blue Shield's part. And they're not willing to uh, move the needle on that issue? That's correct. Dr. Charles O'Mara an Associate Vice Chancellor for Clinical Affairs at UMMC with our Desiree Frazier. In a statement, a Blue Cross Blue Shield Company official says all emergency care will continue to be covered at network-level benefits along with those receiving medically necessary care, follow-up services, and newly referred patients approved to use UMMC. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, Mississippi men's health is at issue. We'll hear what's at stake. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Are you looking for something fun to do this summer? You should check out the MPB events calendar. It has tons of great events. We're talking water slides, kids activities, and even some summer night concerts that are just awesome. If you want to find something nearby or far away, check it out because we have activities across the whole state. If you want a date night or a play day, we have that covered too. There's tons to do for any age, anywhere, anytime. And it's all online at mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Men in Mississippi have higher death rates from cancer, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease than women. That's according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Health care providers across the state are reminding men about the importance of early detection and the treatment of diseases. Dr. Toby Moma is a family physician at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood the focus should be on prevention. That's key. Medicine has changed. A lot of people are used to the cure, but the new cure is prevention. So prevention is basically what people need to be aware of. So every young man under the age of 30, respective of race, should have a testicular exam every year. Every male above the age of 50 should have a colonoscopy. Above the age of 40, depending on your history, a prostate exam. The reason why we emphasize prevention is because you save a whole lot more if you prevent a cancer, for example, colon, prostate, or testicular cancer, than if you go ahead and treat it when you find it. At the same time, we can also, let me use the word, detect diabetes early, detect hypertension early. And if you come in for a regular screening with your physician, you will not have to go in for a cardiac cat or a blockage of your heart, go through a stroke, because we can pick those signs up early, use the appropriate interventions, and therefore save that long-term, down-the-road financial cost and debilitating physical cost to the individual as well. Could you kind of talk about life expectancy for men and how it differs between men and women? So in America, we know we have about a 78 to 79-year life expectancy for women. It's a little lower for men, about 76. The studies have been done. Most times, men are not consistent with their preventative tools. They don't go for the test like they should. It varies based on race, but we know that more women are likely to do their health checkups than men. We believe that men also have a higher stress level, maybe related to their responsibilities in the home, and they need a place to share those burdens. And that's where medical science comes in, clinical counseling comes in. We know that if we can do more with our men folk, we can reduce the number. Let me give you an example. We know that the mortality rate for heart disease is about one and a half times for the average African-American male compared to the African-American women. That is one and a half times the same number of men die from heart disease than the same number of women who are of the same age. Basically, they grew up eating the same food, living in the same environment, maybe going to the same schools, but why is it that one and a half times more died prematurely? It's what we consider the late-stage presentation. Most men present late, 
most men take their time and they want to put a bold face to a medical condition. Unlike the females who come in quicker and alert their physicians earlier, most men sit on things just hoping to ride them out. And we're trying to discourage that. You can come in, get an evaluation. Not everything has to end up in the surgical operating room. We can do tests to prevent worse outcomes if our men come up early. Why do you think that is? I mean, is it something cultural about men? Is it just trying to figure out why is that the case? Men don't want to look vulnerable. Men don't want to be seen as being needy. And, you know, it's different. But if you've been brought up to be the provider, the answer, the the support system for the family you are in, most men want to carry the load. Most men don't want to put the load on other people. And they've been brought up that way mostly because that was how their parents raised them, you know, and depend on where they were raised. But if you had a father figure, they, they try to tell you, don't cry, don't show any emotion, just have a stiff upper lip, don't don't let anybody see you betray your emotion. And even in school, teachers in some institutions look down on a boy who shows his emotion. They consider it feminine. They consider it being vulnerable. So these people come up with that mentality. I mean, you see blood in your stool. You don't sit on it. You go to the doctor. Blood in your stool could be a sign of cancer. You urinate, and you can't urinate well. It's difficult. That could be a sign of prostate cancer. Or you you coughing, and that cough has not gone away for two, three months. That could be a sign of lung cancer. A lot of men will come in much later than female folk will come in. And most times, amazingly, most of them don't even tell their partners. You know, the woman has to, the the wife has to find out because of the symptoms. The men rarely complain. They don't bring up those issues. They feel it will ride out. And I think, just to say the last thing, a lot of people have been brought up with that mentality that, I'll write it out, you know, that. And a lot of people are paranoid, too. They feel doctors want to investigate, find stuff, look out for things that don't necessarily need to be looked for. So they come in with that paranoid mentality. It's not that it's, it's not the same with women, but it's less with women. Let me put it this way. Women have had their pregnancies. They've had their, you know, regular female exams. So they're used to it from the age of 21. A woman starts getting a pap smear. So getting down to look down there is nothing to a woman. But a man, all his life, he's never been told to. So to him, it's like invading his private space. And we're trying to tell them, don't think of it as unusual. It should actually be the norm. Dr. Toby Moma is a family physician at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Moma, thank you again so much for your time. Real pleasure. June is Men's Health Month. Coming up in our book club, a collection of essays for writers, readers, and lovers of all things Southern. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi Public Broadcasting presents Super Reader Super Fun, a family fun day, Saturday, June 30th from 9 until 2 at the Jackson Convention Complex. Enjoy a live Sean Brown Super Fun show, storytelling, and meet your favorite PBS and MPB characters. Sign up for this free community event at mpbonline.org forward slash summer learning. Made possible by a ready-to-learn grant provided by the U.S. Department of Education to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Jackson native Susan Cushman earned her degree in English at Belhaven University. Now a resident of Memphis, Tennessee, her career spans publishing for a magazine, editing several newsletters, and studying and teaching the art of of egg temper an iconic excuse me egg tempera iconography, all before beginning to focus on writing. Cushman is now celebrating her fourth book, Southern Writers on Writing. The anthology includes the essays of 26 Southern authors. Their work celebrates Southern culture and some would say also shapes the landscape of contemporary Southern literature. Divided into six sections, it discusses landscapes, voices in the South, how writers write, and more. She tells us more about her work featuring such contributors as Michael Ferris Smith and Harrison Scott Key, among others. And I got 13 women and 13 men, and I wanted some diversity. I have four African Americans. I wanted more than that, but I just couldn't find them. And I wanted some, I got four poets. So I actually just sent personal invitations to all of them, asking them to submit essays for the collection. And I was so fortunate because almost everyone said yes which kind of blew my mind. It was very generous of them and their time, and I was so honored with their great response. You have four Mississippians included. That includes yourself because you also write an essay for the book. But let's let's talk about the Mississippian. Jim Dees, who we know is the host of Thacker Mountain Radio, but he's also the author of a couple of books, including The Statue and the Fury, A Year of Art, Race, Music, and Cocktails. It's interesting because of the many authors included in your book, I have spoken to many of them for this segment for this show. So that's, that's... That's fun to read what they have to say about writing. But tell us about Jim Dees and what his contribution is. Yes, well, I have only known Jim as the host of Sacramento Radio, which I've been to many times. And then when his book came out and I read it, I went, oh, my goodness, he can also write. I was so taken by his book. I absolutely loved it. And so I invited him to contribute. He was actually a bit surprised because he's not as much known as an author. And I loved his essay so much that I opened the book with it. It's just very poignant, but also very humorous. And he's also a blast to have on panels. So he's been with me so far at two book events and will be with me at the Mississippi Book Festival on a panel. So, you know, not all authors are good speakers. Some of us are very introverted. And Jim really has both gifts. Julie Cantrell, who lives in Oxford, is a New York Times bestselling author. We spoke to her a couple months ago about her new book, Perennials, and she's written many other books as well. What is her contribution to this book? I've known Julie for a number of years. She was an early reader on my novel, Cherry Bomb, and gave me feedback on that. And the essay she wrote, she steeps it a lot in her Louisiana hometown that she's from. She talks about the difference in writing fiction and nonfiction, and she really gets to the heart and soul of it, which is how literature is our soul and how important it is, not just to the culture at large, but to us as individuals. I love her essay. I thought it was great. Another one, Michael Ferris Smith, who I just spoke to very recently. He His most recent book is The Fighter. He's also the writer of Desperation Road. What chapter is he included in? What does he write about? I actually closed the book with him. I put him in the section called A Little Help from My Friends because his essay, Keep Trucking, talks about 
how he almost gave up on being a writer and, you know, what he went through, getting rejected and being dejected and trying to decide if, if he could put groceries on the table for his family or not. He went to Oxford and got inspired by Barry Hanna and Larry Brown and some others down there, and suddenly he got his break. And once he got his break and he kept moving forward. So the book is not just for people who love reading, but also for people who are writing and trying to write. And I think his is one of the most encouraging essays about keeping on moving forward. Is there a universal view among the writers who are included in this book about Southern writing and how it's different from writing in other parts of the country? Yeah, there really is. Uh, One of the funniest comments, uh, John Floyd, in his essay in The Land of Cotton, comments that in all his travels across the country and all the bookstores he's ever been in, he's never seen a section labeled Northern Fiction. (laughs) So there's definitely something about the South. And Alan Lightman, who wrote the foreword, at first he says, I'm not sure there's anything uniquely different about Southern literature. But then he goes on to argue back that there really is. He says, "Um, anyone who's traveled the country knows the South has a unique character and culture. That culture is absorbed in every square inch of skin of the writers who've ever lived in the South, shapes their being, and can be seen in the particular stories they write. And then he talks about Eudora Welty and Faulkner and even Peter Taylor's summons to Memphis. So, yeah, there's there's something in it. Susan Cushman is the editor and also a contributor to Southern Writers on Writing. I should also mention you are a native of Jackson, Mississippi. And I thank you so much for being with us to talk about the book. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's great to meet you, Karen. Appreciate the time. Hear this conversation again whenever you want by subscribing to our podcast. Just search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. And join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.